Content first, early adopter, personalized business amplifier. These are quick bits that I took away during my conversation with Matt Peterson. Matt is the head of publisher audience development for Outbrain. Ever heard of it? Probably have because it's the company that suggests articles to you when you are reading CNBC, CNN, ESPN, Fox News, and many more sites. Actually, 80% of the world's most premium publications if you're counting. Matt helped to grow a content company that was ultimately bought by Outbrain, and Matt's been there ever since. Even before his early stage company, he was in content with a company called Vertical Acuity. Literally, Matt has been helping get content seen by the right people before many companies even put dimes into their blog. He understands the power of content for your clients and for your future clients, and he is helping companies ensure they get their content noticed and that it delivers the ROI they all want. Content is king. It can help build a unique brand, and Matt's here to help us use technology to accomplish this. So pumped for this conversation. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Matt Peterson. We can go way back. Way back. I was, I was, I mean, way back, back, the backup <laughs> catcher. I, I, I mean, actually, in reality, the, uh, I always tell the joke that the coaches were like, you were the prize precious material because if something happened to you and I had to go in and play, it was all downhill <laughs> from there. Definitely not. No. <laughs> welcome. This is a little bit of a different environment than the baseball field, but yeah. welcome, man. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm very excited. Yeah. You were able to come down. We made it work from New York yeah. down to Atlanta. You're, you're up in New York with Outbrain. Um, and yeah, it's good to be home, but, but it's not, it's not like you just are in New York. You travel all around the world, Barcelona. I mean, you're a world traveler. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've, I've made my time worthwhile around the, you know, the globe. You grew up here though for 17, 18 years, yeah. but then after that, you really made up some lost time yeah. by going around the, the globe. Yeah. I took a little bit of, uh, the gap year experience, went to Barcelona, came back to Atlanta and now New York. So, and maybe we're seeing a new destination soon. We'll see. Yeah, you'll see. And, um, and we were talking about before we came on air, uh, so a plane, uh, a plane is meant to get you from point A to point B. You're supposed to sit on it and land and then walk off. Ideally. Uh, ideally. <laughs> uh, you are a, a closet adrenaline junkie, and so you like to jump out of planes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's good if the parachute works. Right, right. Right? But uh, so what made you get into the, that? And now you and your wife have uh, uh, sh- uh, cage. Cage diving. Diving. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah, um, I, I think the risk is what makes it fun, right? right. Um, it's I'm not like a total adrenaline um, addict mm-hmm. per se, but I think like as you have the opportunity to do these things that get your blood pumping a little bit, that's it's exciting. Yeah, the cage diving is more my wife's idea. <laughs> I, I, I'm in. I'll do it. I think it'll be exciting, but like. Sharks? I don't know. I mean, you, sharks, are, you're supposed to watch that on these, Shark Week. Right, these are apex right? predators. <laughs> They're coming after yeah. you. You better so make sure you have no cuts on right. your hands. Yeah, this is their world. Like, I want nothing to do with this. <laughs> yeah. They can come into your world where you're going to see them, but right. don't go into their yeah. world. Uh, I guess they, the, the saying is, is that catchers have a little bit of a screw loose anyways yeah. for getting behind the plate. The and tools getting, of ignorance, you know? Right. And so, uh, and, and you're, you're, you're true, uh, you're showing the, the, the true, the form of that yeah. from that standpoint. Um, well, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. I think that, so Outbrain is a, is a tool that we actually used when we were doing direct to consumer and we were creating a lot of content. That's awesome. Um, and we've talked about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think it's one of those uh, uh, tools that, 
nobody really knows about, but they're impacted by yeah. all the time. So just b- before we head into this whole idea of content marketing, helping people get their content seen, tell us a little bit about how Outbrain works. Yeah. So it is, we kind of joke, it's the biggest company you've never heard of. Um, we're present on publisher sites from, you know, like you mentioned, ESPN, CNN, Fox News, some of the biggest publishers mm-hmm. in the world. And our whole business is meant to personalize the experience for each reader. You have different interests. I have different interests, right? So if we're on the same page, why would the same articles be relevant to you and me as a next step? And the fact is, is they wouldn't. Um, some things overlap and some things don't. But by being able to use all this big data and leveraging the technology, we're able to suss out what is the right recommendation for you versus me or somebody else at that mm-hmm. same given moment? Um, so that's kind of what it was built on, the foundation, and it's evolved certainly over the last 15 years almost. But um, the, the sort of mantra remains the same is how do we put the right content that's interesting to the right readers in front of them when they're going to be interested? So I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second or just kind of the, the, the naive um, you know, pessimist for a yeah. second is I always see Outbrain content on all the pages. I rarely click on it. So I guess then how do you create success for these brands to get people to click without having to be clickbait? The only ones I really click on, and I don't think it's Outbrain content, yeah. is like, um, you know, uh, Jennifer Aniston is pregnant, right? right? I don't know why I would click on that, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we but know that, something yeah, about you, Now you've you know? learned a little bit something new. Uh, but like those types of things. So how do you get people to actually click yeah. on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's advertising, right? And I think as the digital landscape especially has evolved, there's banner blindness for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Ads in their traditional sense aren't engaging. And I think Outbrain has done a better job and Native as a whole mm-hmm. has done a better job of making it more engaging, but it's still in some way, shape or form advertising. Mm-hmm. So the engagement is is sort of contingent on how interesting are you making this content irrelevant? Or are you making this ad to the reader? Um, it's never going to have 100% click-through rate and things like that. Um, our platform is Outbrain. We're a performance-based model. So different than traditional advertising, that impression of things that you saw that didn't click on, there's no cost for the advertiser for that. Mm. Um, so we really try to steer it so when the user does click and we, when we've done our job, that's when there's a, an exchange of value. So it's kind of like advisors that are uh, – uh, a fee-only model, right? right? Where they, they make more money when they do better for you. They lose money when they don't do well right. for you. So you're sitting on the same side of the table. And you mentioned something in that, that comment about native, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something to really help people understand yeah. because this is probably a whole new world for advisors. Advisors struggle with marketing. We mm-hmm. write a ton of content. And I always say, I've used it multiple times in this podcast where you go re- Google uh, financial advice for like a retiree, you get 155 million searches. Yeah. Like, how do I figure out which one's right for me? But native means that you're basically taking an article that they're already reading about Roth IRAs, and you're going to now pump in other financial, uh, you know, investment-related articles there. Yeah. Is that correct? So it's already yeah. within the way that you're kind of going through the flow. Yeah, you think of it as sort of a, a less intrusive form of advertising, right? Mm-hmm. The value in and of itself is the engagement, is the content, is the information that you're gleaning from that article. Mm-hmm. So if you're reading that article on Roth IRAs, maybe something about um, you know, 401ks is relevant because you're in that same line of thinking, or maybe you're exhausted, mm-hmm. right? And you're just like, you know, how bad did the Falcons screw this up last night, right? right? right. So there's that point of intersect and discovery, as we like to call it, at 
not the thing that is linearly related isn't mm-hmm. necessarily the thing that's most relevant at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that f- sort of form of native advertising is really, I think, in its simplest form is trying to find the right reader with the content that's interesting to them when it's interesting. And it may mm-hmm. not be at that moment. It may be some other time. But because there's insight and there's content and there's relevant information as opposed to like a traditional banner display ad that nobody looks at, mm-hmm. there's an inherent sort of that value exchange happens between certainly companies like Outbrain and the publisher, but most importantly, the consumer who's getting what they're looking for by clicking on and engaging with this inf- this information. Right. And, and, the, the, and you guys are, you have to be using um, tons of data and, and kind of insight. And I'm sure that the evolution of AI and machine learning and all that type of NLP and everything of that nature is helping y'all be able to better understand and get better at delivering the right content, which is actually valuable for the end user because it's like, I want to see stuff that's relevant to what I want to hear about right now. Yeah, yeah, data is a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Our system is, you know, oversimplifying it, basically AI, Mm -hmm. right? So we've got how many different algorithms that are trying to figure out who is the right person, when is the right environment, at what point in the day is is the right time to sort of foster that engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, The content is still, I think, the core crux of it, right? We can't do any of these things without great pieces of content to engage readers. But once we have that, and and native in general, again, not just Outbrain, like once that content exists and the readers out there is an audience for it, we just got to figure out how to get in front of them. Mm -hmm. And I guess that, that kind of really leads into the next question. So financial advisors are now just really getting... And I would say that we're still early in this 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 game, uh, the content game, right? Advisors they do market updates, they give their opinion on the markets, they they try to do quarterly newsletters to their mm-hmm. clients. Um, some of the more innovative forward thinkers are now having blogs where they're putting content out all the time, but it's all really the same stuff, right? Yeah. It's like, what do the new tax laws mean to you? Why is the market down? Why is the market up? How can from your seat you yeah. see a lot of content? How can advisors differentiate themselves with better content that's really specific? Yeah, and it's a, it's tough. It's it's not an easy challenge to solve. Um, I think there's, especially given in any given industry, right? There's going to be a lot of topical overlap. Um, what you're talking about as one financial advisor is going to be very similar to somebody else's. Your POVs may be different, and there's a lot of value in that kind of. Um, instinct to mm-hmm. call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to rise above in, in some regard really does come down to making sure that the information you're communicating is digestible by the average consumer. <laughs> I I have a financial advisor, right? Mm-hmm. And every quarter I have a call with him and he gets into the details of moves he's made or thinks we should make. And five minutes over, my eyes glaze, right? right. Like, so I think not because I don't get it or I'm not interested, but the specificity and the nuances that he understands at such great detail are in some regard lost on me. Mm-hmm. So I think making sure that as the wealth advisor in that sense, you can articulate in a digestible format to the average consumer who is putting all this trust in you as being the expert, that I think is where there's a separation mm-hmm. um, because you don't want to create a world where I came to this site or came to your resource to find out and learn more and now I'm more confused than I was when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's part of it. Right. Um, it's just making sure that you've got sort of a variety of um, topics or information that caters to the novice as well as somebody who may be in there making day trades on their own because they're super you know, good at, at, at 
sort of helping this process along. Right. And are you able to, with Outbrain and some of these other sources, given the content now, you're able to do similar to what you do with social media and Google ads is where you can really get specific on who yeah. you want to see this content. Yeah. Um, and you can also c- create like an audience based off of your list of clients totally. or whatever it may be so that they're seeing the stuff that's relevant to them. So like the novice or the early adopter maybe is seeing everything about like why to get started early, whereas the day traders, you're talking to them more and, and you're right. able to then it market to them more right. that way. Yeah, I, that's a great point. So especially today, we have so much data and mm-hmm. it, at some point there's also you know data paralysis. Like what do I do with all this? Right. But I think we have access and opportunities to leverage this in, in ways that has never been possible. Mm-hmm. So with Outbrain, with no- Native, with Google, with Facebook, everybody sort of um, empowers the marketer in that sense to make sure they're reaching the right folks with the right content. Mm-hmm. So all these platforms have algorithms that hopefully will cater to that and do it well in some respect. But I think any data that you as the marketer in that sense has to help sort of expedite that process is so powerful. And you can target the novice content to the folks that may identify more as novice investors and, and make sure you're not overwhelming one party with content that's too in-depth and not providing enough detail to a party that may be much more sophisticated in the processes. So leveraging that is you know, paramount to making sure that the content you're producing is resonating with the right people. I think that there's two really points that I take away is one, is that as advisors, we have so much data on how our clients react and how certain clients react to different situations that we should use that to drive the content that we yeah. write, right? right? As opposed <laughs> to just doing it because that's what the industry standard is. Totally. Let that con- that data, then the kind of the, the, the qualitative data drive right. the content. But I think the other thing that you were kind of alluding to is that, you know, these services of getting the content from the right people, it doesn't, Yes, you should probably use it as a as a prospecting tool to bring in new prospects and the right prospects, but you can use it also as a way to proactively communicate with current clients, yeah. right? How do you get your content? How do you make sure that they're reading it? They may not read it from an email from you because like, ah, it's just going to be so in-depth, right. but you can maybe capture it while they're reading about the Falcons totally. or whatever it may be. And yeah. I think that there, there's tools beyond just having to be a prospect. It can be a relationship management tool. It absolutely can. And you have that data too, right? Everybody has a CRM or some similar system that a lot of these platforms allow you to just upload you know, all the data files that these are my current customers. And when they're on ESPN reading about the Falcons, target them with news about ETFs, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. may be the right time, it may not, but I think if they engage in it, that's a very strong indicator that they've, in effect, raised their hand and said, now's the right time and I'm interested in maybe follow up with me about something else down the line. Mm-hmm. And you're and you're capturing them in a moment and it doesn't have to be, it's still personable because you're targeting the people that list the clients that are only using ETFs. Right. So it's like, oh yeah, my advisor just talked to me about ETFs and right. Uh, this is weird that it's right here. And then they go in and see it and you just are building this great yeah. like surprise and delight. And so so there, so for the advisors that are out there that are like, all right, I've got a blog already because we, we can we can probably create multiple tiers. Like I said, the person that is still working on their website, yep. the advisor out there that's still working on the website, the person that's got the great website does a few pieces and then you got the person that's got a great website and a great blog. So let's talk to the third person that's got a great blog. They want to get ahead of the rest of the people, and they want to really separate themselves. What's the future uh, of content over the next five years? Yeah, I mean, put your finger in the air, right? right who knows? Right. This this space changes. Take so out fast. your crystal ball yeah. for this one, <laughs> yeah. right? Right, and we won't exactly. hold you to it, except for five years from now, we'll come back and check <laughs> yeah. in and, and see if it, it's true. I, I mean, I think 
what's interesting about this whole space is content marketing isn't new as a medium, mm -hmm. right? It's evolved in this digital landscape has fast-tracked everything light years beyond probably what would have been a kind of normal evolution. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's still going to be, it's going to be more personalized in the future. The content that you're producing, I think all the things we're talking about still should speak to the topics and articulate well what you're trying to articulate to the, to the audiences. But I think what's going to change and where it's going to evolve is where can we access this information, right? If you think of what the internet has done to traditional advertising and what has done in the negative sense to print, right? Mm -hmm. Move that forward five years and look at the internet of things and you know connected devices and so on and so forth. There will be a point in time, I'm sure, especially for those that are sophisticated on both sides of the table, that you can contact your wealth management, your advisor, or you can be doing research from your bathroom mirror or from mm -hmm. your, you know, mm -hmm. I think today you can even tweet from your fridge. Like, right. why you would do that, I have no idea, but it's the technology. <laughs> I just ate an apple. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, I want the world to know. Right. Right. But you'll be able to do it. And I think that's what, where it's going to get exciting is how do you reach these readers in a world where they are just inherently engaged outside of traditional formats where there's less and less engagement every day. Right. And I, and, and I think that and, and we, I, we, we are big proponents of it with regards to video and everything of that nature. And I, I think that the, uh, the personalization, right, the idea of being able to say, and, and people may laugh about this, but I think that it's getting there to where I can really put your name and your entire situation into an article and I can yeah. send that out to a thousand more people yep. and everyone have a different name and a different personal situation yep. because we know your situation already. Right. Is there, are y'all seeing it on your side with regards to video? Is the next step for, you know, the outbrain type style to be, here's your recommended YouTube videos yeah. or here your recommended videos while you're reading an article. I mean, is that, yep. is that around already? Is that, is For that sure. going where it's, where it's heading to? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, every media event or industry event conference, what have you video. And to be fair, I think like for the last three years, the mm -hmm. hot topic every year has been video and nobody has quite cracked the code yet, which is why it's still the budding issue. Mm -hmm. um, I think video, and we've seen it on Facebook, you see it on YouTube. When you look at, these kind of standardized engagement rates and metrics like time on site, engagement, pages per session, whatever. <clears throat> From that standpoint, video is proving to be a much more engaging format. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is um, people are getting more savvy um, to understanding that they're being marketed to in mm -hmm. kind of the traditional sense with display ads, with native advertising, right? It's, it's becoming more of a known format of advertising, which everybody is resi resistant to. Video is a much more engaging format in and of itself. You're watching, you're sort of immersed in this experience. And if you're engaging, especially within a video world, it's because you're really interested in the topic. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a balance between marketers wanting to just like get their message out there and sort of pummel people over the head and consumers really being resistant to that. And you have to find kind of that nice middle ground where we know as a marketer, we're not gonna hit 100% of the people we mm -hmm. want to, but the 20% of the people that really engaged are our most valuable prospects anyway. And mm -hmm. so doubling down in, in that engagement model, I think is where the future is going. And continuing to provide them great value, which leads really to the next question of saying, I mean, you you help people, you know, get their content be seen. And so you see what makes a good content piece and what makes a bad content piece. And so 
you know, just thinking for you, know, if if there's like one thing that they could take away, and we're going to get to this in your in, in later, but what are some of those points that people can remember when they're writing content that are so valuable? I mean, you got to create value, right? right? You can't just be a generalist and get your content ready anymore. Right. That's, you're you're going to be it's going to be disregarded. So, what are some of those things that people can do to make their content be read? Yeah, I mean, I think. It's, this is the million dollar question, right? If, right? if there was a straight answer, we'd all be, you know, well, just say it right here, right? and then everybody <laughs> yeah. else, yeah, yeah, we would not be right here. We'd be in an island. Exactly. We have a green screen, so we could have done that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we should. Yeah, Can we edit that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We're there. We're now in Hawaii. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think being articulate, making sure that the content is specific and personalized to the people you're talking to is is step number one. Um, we've seen also certain trends like video, right? That kind of more immersive experience. Having a face to a name too, mm-hmm. I think built, especially in this industry, it built a level of trust that is um, probably more important than in many other industries. So that also helps to sort of solidify that relationship or at least start building the, the building blocks there. Mm-hmm. Um, more interactive content, I think, is also something that we've seen take charge. Uh, I think there were folks like J.P. Morgan or Morgan Stanley, I can't remember who, mm-hmm. but it has a very good sort of interactive content map, for mm-hmm. lack of a better way to put it, where you can, as the user, go into whatever is their sort of content portal and sort of set filters and preferences as to what it is you're looking for. Um, mm-hmm. And it will, in a very dynamic sense, spit that information out for you. Interesting. So it's it's more interactive. It allows the the person being marketed to in that regard to have some control as to what message they're receiving, mm-hmm. which I think is important, right? Because if somebody is you know working on a four hundred one k and you've got someone else working on a, a Roth, right? Those are very similar but not identical, right. right? So there may be nuances within the message that you're trying to promote that is right for one versus the other, and that kind of dynamic content flow allows the user to sort of dictate what they're being messaged. Mm -hmm. And it creates an ecosystem for the marketer to say, I have all the data. The data is here. Now we've put a tool out there that allows you to slice and dice and get the information that you want to extract from it. Mm. You're still the expert because you've provided the insights, but they have more control in what is relevant to them. Yeah, it's it's basically like taking beyond a calculator, right? It's right. like, hey, I'm going to give you more insight than a calculator. But you know, you also said you know control multiple times and giving the the reader control, and I right. think that that just goes to behavioral economics, where yeah. you, if they have ownership, they're going to be more accepting of it as opposed to being told what to do. If they're right. going and finding their own answer, uh, then they're going to have more right. ownership of that, and they're going to feel more in control of that, which right. is great. And nobody wants to be sold to, no. right? You know, so and in our world, right, as salespeople, it's you're, you're figuring out how to have that conversation without being a seller, mm-hmm. right? So I think to your point exactly. If you can be the resource for great information and enable the consumer to take part in that research on their own and sort of build their own knowledge base, they're going to come back to you mm-hmm. again and again and again as the export and ex- expert, and that's going to continue to foster that trust. And ultimately, what, of course, the goal is in this context is to get that person to sign on, be a client, be a partner um, mm-hmm. in that regard. But it all starts with, I think establishing a, a trust and, and a relationship from the very beginning. Yeah. And we're so good in this industry at doing that once they're in our office. Right. And so it's a matter of how do you bottle that up and, and, and provide that value uh, yeah. and, and within your digital storefront, right? Yep. Now, when you look at uh, – I want to wrap up with two more questions really, is, and then we may go down a, a rabbit hole yeah. here. But is – 
when you talk to companies and you look at their marketing strategy, because I'm assuming you get some light into mm-hmm. that, content is content a big player? Why is content a big player? These are kind of molding these together, yeah, but. Yeah. You know, what percentage of a, of a larger company's marketing strategy is dedicated to content relative to ad spend? How should advisors think through, this is how much I need to dedicate towards time to write it, money to market it, et cetera? Yeah, and I think this too ties into your other question about like, where's the future? I mm-hmm. think a lot of advertising dollars are still spent in traditional mediums on TV, on display, and run of network buys, and all the different kind of buzzwords that go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's shifting because I think a lot of that, you don't have the same kind of insights. Um, when you think of advertising and marketing in this context, it's a performance game, right? So you want there to be some level of positive ROI. And I think that's harder and harder to come by as the measurement gets better. Mm-hmm. Through these traditional mediums like display, people don't look at ads anymore, right? And mm-hmm. People don't even watch TV anymore. People cut in the cord, or they have, you know, they're do 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 through yeah. all the ads, you know. Um, <laughs> so <They're> TiVo, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> I cut the cord. Yeah, I don't yeah, use these things anymore, right? See, now you have yeah. no commercials. <laughs> exactly, can't find me anywhere. Right. Um, so I think content is going to take a larger and larger share of market in that sense, mm-hmm. because it's sort of going back to the basics, and you have to again establish yourself as a leader, a thought leader, an expert in your field, especially if you want this person to part with a thing that in many cases they hold so dear. Um, so I think it'll t- start to take a larger share. I think there's still some work to be done in terms of the measurement and yeah. the ROI. I, I, I say all that, but I don't want to you know, knock Google or Facebook or these other platforms, TV display, these things, they do work, right? right? And they're still working well. I just think there's going to be, over the next few years, there's going to be a shift where you have to apply kind of the scalability and the ROI that we're currently seeing within the Google landscape mm-hmm. to content marketing, and and that's right around the corner. Right, and content, fit, it's not an all or nothing, right? It fits right. into a strategy. Exactly. Like Facebook and Google are great uh, for certain aspects, and you, totally. shouldn't, you, you have to create this kind of, we call it a core satellite when we build a portfolio, but it's like you have to build a core satellite yeah. marketing strategy. Like yeah. Here's my core strategy, I'm going to satellite off of these, and they have specific goals yep. in each of them. Um, now, the, the, what I want to wrap up with is for some people to go that are really de- desiring to be great thought leaders or content companies, who can they go look at? What are some of the companies out there that are doing it? And then they can be in the financial services industry yep. uh, or not that are doing it the right way and are getting the engagement that, that companies desire. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty, right? Yeah. I think that's the, the great news is that there's plenty of companies out there that are starting to really do it right. Um, if you look at uh, Johnson & Johnson, they have an entire content hub called Baby Center, mm. right? They're not selling any products. They are simply experts on the topics of parenting, and they provide a forum for users to connect with one another and share their stories and commiserate when necessary, mm-hmm. right? So they've done a great job building a relationship with their consumers without actually selling them anything. Mm. But when you go to the store, you've connected with Johnson & Johnson in a very meaningful sentimental way, that's likely the product you're going to reach for, mm. right? So that's one example in the CPG space. Um, I think I was mentioning earlier, like JP Morgan Chase and Morgan Stanley, um, as big, big companies have done a good job at sort of leveraging the data they do have access to and, and making a lot of this information digestible and um, 
easily findable right. by consumers, right. right? If that's a way to put it. Um, I think there's smaller within this financial space, right? Smaller companies and folks that started out as blogs, right? Look mm-hmm. at Nerd Wallet and mm. um, folks like that that really just started out as, hey, you know, I'm travel hacking and these are the best cards that I've found to use. And now it has blown into this big business. There's been acquisitions and consolidation. So I think it all speaks to, in that regard, it's just great content strategies that connect you with a consumer that down the line, especially with the acquisitions that have happened, that's the value, mm-hmm. right? Is being able to connect with a consumer and then sure you're gonna pitch a product to them at some point, but mm-hmm. that's not the core relationship. It's a strategy, right? I mean, right. that's the whole thing. It's a, it takes time to be able to do totally. and you have to commit to it. And it's not like, hey, just write a blog and you're gonna get, you gotta have a strategy of committing yeah. and consistency right. with that content. Yeah, and you measure it differently too. Mm-hmm. I mean, to your earlier point, you, you can't look at a content marketing strategy in a short term as like, well, I produced 10 articles and I got 10 new clients. That's mm-hmm. not the way it's gonna work. It's going to be, a, it's a long game. Mm-hmm. And you guys are the long game well, right? That's right. the whole nature of this business. Right. I think that still has to hold true with your marketing strategy in that regard too. Which is still, which is somewhat <laughs> counterintuitive. We are in the long game as financial advisors, but when it comes to marketing, if we don't get short-term results, then we think it's BS. Right, right. And so uh, we got to change our mentality to be more long game focused. All right, let's move into buy or sell. Yep. All right, so I, uh, as a way to try to, uh, uh, you know, make this financial, I thought we had to do something financial, so yeah. buy or sell. It's a cheesy game that I like to make up. <laughs> I'm going to give you, f- I have four, four statements here. You buy it if you believe it, you sell it if you don't, and then you can tell why, and then we'll go on. We'll see if you're a bull or a bear, okay. or if you're kind of market neutral <laughs> today, all right? Uh, first one, buy or sell. Companies aren't using content to its fullest potential today. Oh yeah, buy, for sure. I think that speaks to everything we've been talking about. Um, we're still, in some sense, in the infancy of content marketing. We haven't quite cracked the code, um, and there's a lot of opportunity moving forward. Which is actually crazy, because you just said Outbrain's been around for what? 15 years. 15 years. I mean, and we're still in the early stages of content marketing. Yeah, it's still very much evolving. That's mind-blowing. And now it's like moving even faster because of video and access of can't to cameras and and posting. Okay, Uh, one buy. So buy or sell, the way content is distributed today will be different than how it is distributed five years from now. Yeah, total buy. Yeah, uh, this is, I think, goes back to the Internet of Things, connected Mm -hmm. devices. Um, We've got partners that are creating their own chat bots and things like that so you can connect with somebody without actually connecting with somebody right. in some regard. So there's just going to be many more ways to distribute and connect with audiences and I don't think we've even scratched the surface yet. Which then gives another evolution to how content can be utilized, right? So someone could interact with, you could have a blog, there's a lot of technology with NLP and AI that can yeah. consume that blog and then someone can go interact with a chat bot and you could just take a paragraph from that blog right. and have a conversation about that to answer someone's specific question. Right. Like the where the the where it can go is you yeah. know, amazing and, and mind blowing as well. So I agree. Uh, buy or sell content marketing is a more powerful and a better ROI than traditional Google ad marketing, allowing you to take a jab here. Yeah. Allowing you to take a jab. <laughs> um, I would say. I'm sort of neutral on this one. I think short-term ROI, AdWords and Google and Facebook, um, in some regards, are the the play, right? Mm -hmm. It's a different intent for the user, though. Um, If I am searching for how do I invest my money into an ETF, if you're not the first search engine that pops up, you should be, if that's your your target market, right? Right. Um, and that's a very short sell. It's, it's, I've already expressed the intent, you just gotta show me where to sign, in some regards. Content marketing, 
is a much longer play um, as we've been talking about. So I think there's a lifetime value component to this. Content marketing should absolutely be part of the me media mix as should Google. Mm -hmm. I don't think you compare them apples to apples. Is there a way, have you been able to say kind of where that crossover of the value of content marketing kind of starts to outweigh that initial immediate impact of Google ads? I mean, I, I don't know if there's like, hey, it's 18 months. Uh, and it's different, I know, for everybody, but yeah. I didn't know if there was a stat out there. And there may not. I'm, I don't know that I, maybe there is. Yeah. Not one I know off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, and I think too, there's probably a, a different answer if we're talking Google search versus Google display. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's still a lot of targeting opportunities in and all around, but mm -hmm. search is probably going to be a higher ROI short term than display. Mm -hmm. Content marketing is probably going to be a better lifetime value than anybody that's been brought in via a Google display ad. So, you know, there's, like I said, it's, so it's like, what's that life value? You're right. Your exactly. lifetime value of that client, where they come from. And exactly. that's, that's part of the funnel that someone has to be looking at where there's a lot of technology to help with is saying, all right, here's where I got everybody from, here's how much they're worth to me, and this is how long they stay. And right. so it's not like just the funnel of acquiring a prospect and then seeing if you close it. Right. You gotta see it all the way throughout, how, who totally. stays on board totally. the most. And the great thing is you can measure all this now. Right, technology allows you yeah. to measure it off. You have yeah. the right tools in place, and right. you have the right strategy at the beginning, and you're not trying to piecemeal it together. All right, last one, so you're slightly bullish right now. The last one, buy or sell. Facebook has had a positive impact on companies' ability to be great content marketers. Um, historically, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're at a weird precipice um, injunction with Facebook. Hmm. They've made a lot of changes to their algorithms and what can be promoted and how it can be promoted and who's a trusted marketer, which I think is throwing a, a lot of confusion to the market. Hmm. Um, so I think it's been great to be able to connect with consumers and especially all the targeting parameters and sort of features that they make available. It's a great way to get your message out there. I don't know if it will continue to be as great of a medium to really meaningfully engage and connect with, with people. And I think that's Facebook's doing what Facebook's doing um, to try to bring it back to like friends and family sharing. And so they're restricting a lot of access, mm -hmm. which may hinder that kind of accessibility. So you're buying on the past, selling on the future. Yeah, I would short. So you're doing a straddle here. You're doing <laughs> yeah. a straddle. I see. That's all right. Uh, so you're slightly bullish. I, I, I agree. I think that Facebook's at a, an interesting point right now. I mean, they, they're a behemoth. They're going to still be around no matter what. And totally. It's kind of going to be, you have to put money in there yes. as a marketing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but I think it, it may turn to be more of a marketing to your clients so right. they can get to better know you and build a relationship as opposed to marketing to attract new Yeah, people. I think that's probably exactly right. All right. Who I'm, knows? They're going to change everything tomorrow, and all of this is going right. to Right. I mean, there's actually a, there's a press release going out right now <laughs> yeah, about they, they, they listen to, to us. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, Matt and Matt are talking about this, and uh, we're going to change things right now. Right. Um, all right. So I want to give you 90 seconds or less uh, to really give the listeners one item that they can execute on today. I'll give you a closing thought. I'll give a closing thought, and we'll let you get back to, to going and doing what you do best, which is making money. Um, <laughs> but what they can execute on today to push their firm forward, and to give you kind of a lead-in, you can use it or not, uh, the question would be, what is one thing that financial advisors could do today to really elevate their content marketing above competitors in the space? Um, there's so many answers to this. I think listening if, if that's not too simple of an answer. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the feedback, and I mean quite literally as you have conversations with clients and prospects and listen to what their 
struggles are, their challenges, their concerns, their, their gaps in knowledge, but also listen to your data as you go through these marketing initiatives mm-hmm. and um, you see what resonates and what doesn't. Leverage that in your strategy moving forward. I think that's what, what's great about you know, financial advisors and kind of how they're built is that you can be nimble, you can be mobile, you can try all these new things, test and learn very quickly. And don't try to force a strategy because you think it's the right strategy. Not to say that you're wrong, but like right. if the data is telling you something differently, accept that and move in that direction. And you always have the flexibility to go back. But if you are too sort of bullheaded in that regard to just say, this is the way, this is the way, you're going to get outpaced. Yeah, I love that. And listening listening is the impetus to my closing thought too. Because I was at a conference recently and had the great opportunity to hear New York Times bestselling author Daniel Pink talk. He talked about his new book, When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And during his talk, he highlighted one main point about endings. A major point that really hit me was that endings energize people. It motivates them to take action. A study he mentioned showed how people were more inclined to run marathons in the year their age ends in a nine. Why, you ask? Because you're nearing an end to a period, your 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. And endings energize you to take action. What does that mean to you? A lot. When you think about a content marketing strategy that will spur people to take action, well, target those people that are in a period of being energized to take action. Those that are nearing a change in age, leaving their 20s and heading to their 30s or 50s to 60s. And the beauty is, is that with technology today, the targeting capabilities are now available to you. Writing content is the smallest part of a content strategy. Getting your content seen and acted on is the holy grail. Technology from Facebook to Outbrain to Twitter have all provided you as a firm the extensive tool set needed to be successful with content. As with any technology decision, a holistic approach to how this integrates and interacts with your current processes and technologies is key. Success will be determined based on the clear goal and time dedicated. Matt, I appreciate you taking some time from New York, flying all the way down here just for this This podcast uh, and taking some time with us here on Bridging the Gap. And to all the listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll be on the airwaves again next week. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. This has been a pleasure.